Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elamech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am the next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalising transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are my witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Emelech, Kilon and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Sorry. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout all Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Then, This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the family of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nation, Nation, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, 
Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the uh, father of David. Most people in history are remembered for the things that they've done, but there's a very small band of people in history who are remembered for what they actually failed to do. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, This is Dick Rowe. Dick Rowe was an executive with Decca Records in London in the 1960s and he received two audition tapes, one from a band in London and one from another band in Liverpool. And Dick Rowe decided not to sign the band from Liverpool because it was going to be too difficult getting them to transport backwards and forwards to London. So he decided to go with the band from London. Uh, The recordings of the Beatles audition that were sent through uh, still exist today and you can see that uh, Dick Rowe clearly made the wrong choice because he went with a band uh, by the name of Brian Someone or Other and the Tremolos. I'm not sure if you've got any of their records at your place but uh, I don't think they're terribly well remembered. In fact, I'm not sure they lasted too long with Decca Records. This is William Orton. In 1878, he was the president of the Western Union Telegraph Company in the US. He was offered the patent for a new invention and declined it. It was a little thing that they were calling the telephone. But his words were, this telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is of no value to us. Uh, Most movie buffs know that uh, Gary Cooper turned down the role of Rhett Butler in Gone with the Wind. His words were, Gone with the Wind is going to be the biggest flop in in the history of Hollywood. I'm just glad it'll be Clark Gable falling flat on his face and not me. Well, today in the book of Ruth, we find up another man. Strangely enough, we don't actually know his name. Uh, But he is remembered for a non-acceptance of a responsibility. Now, we saw last week from Ruth chapter 3 that um, Ruth had made the marriage proposal to Boaz. She had said, will you marry me? And while Boaz was committed to the idea of doing that, but unfortunately there was a closer relative who could step in and rescue the family. Uh, They called them a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. And Boaz said that he would love to marry Ruth, but we had to sort out the issue with the other family member, this other close relative. Uh, Boaz goes and meets with this nameless contact at the town gate, uh, which is the normal place for the men to meet and for business to be transacted. This nearest relative turns up and Boaz explains that he has the right to purchase that block of land that belonged to Elimelech that now is in the possession of Naomi. And he says, great, sounds like a win-win to him. He can help out the family and get this block of land at a good price. But then Boaz adds one more piece of information. If you've got your Bible, it's verse number five. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth, the Moabites, You acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. You can have the land, but you have to marry Ruth as well. And the man decides to turn down the offer. He doesn't want to jeopardise his own inheritance. He doesn't want to jeopardise what he will already be passing on to his own family. So the kinsman redeemer says, then I cannot do it, verse number 6. I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. 
and then as we heard in the Bible passage, they exchanged sandals. It's much better that we actually just sign our names on a piece of paper, I think, isn't it? But they exchanged sandals to, uh, to pr- uh, prove that the transaction had happened. It's interesting, though, this nameless man declines the offer, says that he'd love to take the lamb, but not interested in the connection with Ruth or Naomi. And Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife. Now, if you have a look in the Bible passage, in verse 13, we we jump ahead at least nine months, possibly even a little bit further. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and when he had made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. It's not just a son for Ruth and Boaz, it's a grandson for Naomi. And the rest of the chapter is really taken up with how great this is for Naomi that that she will now have this family who will continue to look after and care for her. Verse 14, the women, that's the women in the town, said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout all of Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. The women can see how the birth of this child is actually an extraordinary kindness to Naomi, the grandmother in this situation, that his birth is actually benefiting her, that she will be cared for and looked after. They can see also that God is the one who stands behind all of this, that God is the one orchestrating all of these events. Naomi, the woman who was so bitter and empty in chapter 1, now has her life renewed. Now, when you come to the end of the book of Ruth, you get that little genealogy, and my normal feeling is when I see that, I'm tempted to skip over it because it's a bunch of difficult names to actually pronounce, and at first glance, it's hard to see where it actually fits into the story, what it's got to do with anything. It's not, at first, obvious. It's nice to be able to trace your family tree, I'm sure, and it's a wonderful thing for them to be able to trace their family tree through to the great King David. But that little genealogy that we're tempted to gloss over at the end, I think that's actually the whole point of this book. It's the reason that this book is written, the reason that the story of these people is recorded. So when you understand the significance of these closing verses you realise what that that genealogy is all about. Right back at the very beginning of Ruth, the very first verse said, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. There's a very clear setting to this book. The events in the book take place during the time of the judges, the darkest and most horrible time in Israel's history. It is a black, black time. This newly formed nation have moved into the land and they've gone off the rails big time. Some of the darkest stories that you read in the whole Bible are found in the book of Judges. And Ruth is that little glimmer of light in the book of Judges. There's a verse that gets repeated all the way through the book of Judges. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did as he saw fit. Now what that's saying is, It was every man for himself. There was no one leading them. There was no one guiding them. There was no one telling them how it is that they ought to live. It was just every man for himself. But here in the book of Ruth, we see God addressing that problem. 
we see God providing them with the great King David. We don't know too many of the other names of the people who who are in here, but we know that King David is the result of the birth of this child in the story of the book of Ruth. God's rescue plan is being rolled out. God shows his kindness to the people of Israel at the darkest time in their entire history. But it doesn't end there. A few years ago, we were on holidays uh, with our family in South Africa and we went and visited what's called the Kango Caves, uh, which are a series of caves up in the hills up uh, down the bottom of South Africa. Uh, The caves were discovered by a farmer in 1780 and he tried to explore the caves but back in 1780 the only thing he had was an oil lamp and he took that in and reached a point where he knew that there was a big drop and he couldn't go any further. So that was as far as it went, a few hundred metres into this cave. But as time went on they began to discover uh, other parts of the cave as lights became better and more available they could actually explore more of the cave uh, when you go and visit it they do they do an interesting thing they take you in as far as the farmer would have been able to go with his oil lantern and they show you what you can see which is virtually nothing i mean you can just see a couple of meters away from where you're standing there's nothing there then they turn out that light so you're standing in complete pitch black and then they turn on the lights into the main cavern, which is this. It's about 100 metres long and about 40 metres wide, about the same size as a football field. And these extraordinary stalactites and stalagmites hanging in the cave. In some ways, that little genealogy in Ruth is, is a little bit like what the farmer could do in that cave. Sure, he could go ahead a little way and see a little bit into the distance, but not really that far. It's when you actually get to the pages of the New Testament that we get another genealogy. If if you've got a Bible there, flip it over to Matthew chapter 1 because this is where the floodlights go on. This is where the spotlights go on to show us just how big this plan is that God has. Matthew chapter 1. There's a genealogy that features King David but ultimately it reaches to Jesus. It shows us what it is that God had in store all along. Not just a king to rescue Israel, but a king who would rescue the world. When you read through the story of Ruth, you can't help but be struck by the ordinariness of the lives of these people. God uses a destitute widow and a foreigner to be central to his plan of salvation. Central to his plan to rescue these people. Matthew gives us a family tree. He mentions 42 men and just four women, one of them being Ruth. It's a strange little collection of names that he's got with these four women. Uh, 48 men mentioned, oh, sorry, 42 men mentioned, but just these four women. Uh, the four women are Tamar in verse number three of Matthew chapter one. Uh, she was the mother of Perez. She's the first person in the Ruth genealogy. And then there's Rahab, who was the mother of Boaz, and Ruth, who was the mother of uh, Obed, and then Bathsheba, through whom King Solomon would be born. Now, it's a strange little collection of names. It's kind of almost the skeleton in the closet for the history of the people of Israel. Uh, I once heard someone jokingly say that these are the four shady ladies of the Old Testament. 
Tamar gave birth to Perez by falling pregnant to her father-in-law. Rahab was a a woman of ill repute in the Canaanite land. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite, not even an Israelite. And Bathsheba was the woman who commits adultery with King David. But I think Matthew's making a point here. He's chosen to talk about four mothers and mentions those 42 fathers as well. But why these four mothers? Well, partly because they're unexpected people, partly because they're people who would have been on the outer in the society of Israel, partly because they're the unlikely person, but most of all because God has chosen them and used them to be central to his plan of salvation. Far from being the shady ladies, these are the ones through whom God is at work to bring his son and saviour into the world. They may have been on the outer of the community of their day, but they are loved by God and vital to the role that God has them play. Kindness is that significant theme that runs right the way through the book of Ruth. But when you get to the end of the book of Ruth, you realise that redemption is the big theme. Two widows redeemed by a close relative, a nation redeemed by King David, but ultimately God redeeming us through his son Jesus. And therein is the greatest kindness that God could possibly show to us. I mean, the book of Ruth screams about kindness, but it shows us the kindness that God has shown to us in sending his son, the greatest kindness for those who believe and accept the forgiveness that Jesus gives.